This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome today. It's great to see everybody on all of our campuses. I want to thank my dad for all the nice things he just said about me, especially... Especially the one where he said I was the kid that was on his way to hell. I mean, that's uh, probably true. Uh, I'm excited today. Today we're wrapping up a series that we've been in called Rally. And when we talk about Rally, we're talking about this idea of coming together to recover or to get it back. And and before I even get started, I want to just applaud uh, two of our campus pastors who have spoken the last two weeks, Fred Negretti and Andrew Nava. Can we give it up? Awesome job um, that they've done talking about this idea of coming together to get it back. When we look at the world around us, if we're really honest, as devastating as it is, it seems like loss is kind of a part of our lives. Have you ever looked at your life and felt like for every two steps you're taking forward, it sometimes feels like you're taking three steps back? And so we've been discussing this idea, man, in a world that is just inundated with loss, I mean, is it ever really possible? And I, I think for us today at every you know, campus that you may be at, this is partially why you show up to church. You have like a dream in your heart. You have a hope in your heart that just maybe, maybe somehow, some way, like maybe there's a way that it could get better. Maybe there's a way that I could get back the things that I've lost. And we believe that this is, this is what God can do, that God does in our lives. And so we believe that it's possible. And the, the, the first week, uh, Fred Negretti talked about, man, if, if we want to recover, if we want to come together and get back the things that we've lost in our life, he talked about the first thing we got to do. We got to be all in. Like we got to have everything on the table. We can't just be people who believe with 80% of our lives. Like if I say that I believe, then I have to be in with 100% of my belief. And then my brother-in-law last weekend, he came and he talked about, you know, believing is great, but believing in and of itself is not enough. I don't just have to believe. I need to do something with my life. There needs to be a corresponding action. Today, I want to talk about this idea of what do you do when you're doing everything you know to do and it still seems like it's not working? What do you do when you showed up to church, when you've listened to like the pastor, the preacher, in and of yourself on your own time, like you've read books, like you're doing things that you know to do and this should be producing in my life. What do I do when I'm doing everything that I know to do and it still seems like it's just not working for every two steps forward? It feels like I'm taking three steps back. It's funny because in our day and age that we live in, we define this idea of what's working or not by how long it takes for it to work. We live in a society where everything is about instant gratification, like we want it now, right? Like if I have to go to Starbucks and wait more than a minute for my drink, like I'm extremely upset. I'm ready to fight, right? Like, I mean, where's my coffee? You know, like you got to go to a restaurant and if I cook something, it take all night. But if it's not to my table within five minutes, I'm like, I'm never coming to this restaurant again. Why? Because in our society, everything is about instant gratification. I want it. I want it now. I need it now. And, and, and largely this is because of uh, the world that we live in through technology. I mean, think about it. You can send a text message and interrupt somebody's day at any given time and their phone will go off and, and, and they're, they're, they're interrupted. I was, I was talking with my family this last week and we're having the conversation with my parents. They're like, what did you guys do before cell phones? And, 
And uh, they were kind of like, so we're talking about like, if, 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 what, what if somebody like really, really needed to get a hold of you? And they're like, well, we, you know, we tried pay phones, like we had home phones. But if, I mean, if you just, if you're out of town or something, you'd have to wait till you get, till you get back. So like, even if like a family member passed away, uh, you'd have to wait till you got back home. You may not hear about it uh, for a long time. Well, in this day and age, I mean, somebody's dog does something cute, right? Like your kids smile some way that you think the world should see. Maybe you cook a good meal. Uh, maybe you take a cool picture, make a cool video. Maybe you see somebody post something malicious and rude and scandalous on social media. I mean, you screenshot that sucker and it's sent to a hundred people within a hundred seconds, right? Followed up by the question, you see this yet? And it's like, no, it's been a hundred seconds. I haven't got, gotten a chance to even, even look at it. Why? Because in this day and age, everything is about instant gratification. Well, this makes it extremely challenging for those of us who are trying to look a little bit beyond what is just normal and beyond what is just natural. This is kind of difficult for those of us that are trying to trust God, I guess is how I could say it, as we venture into the world of spirituality and trusting God and understanding how God works, you actually realize that God's way is not really a way of instant gratification. In fact, a lot of times it feels like delayed gratification. This is why the Bible even says things like this, like the way things work with God is seed, time, harvest. In other words, I'm not always going to get it now because the way that God works is oftentimes counterintuitive to the way that I work. What am am I talking about? In fact, the the Bible says this in in Isaiah. This is what God says about how he thinks, how he works. God says, I don't think, I don't think the way that you think. Like just straight up, heads up, I don't think the way that you think. And the way that you work isn't the way that I work. What is he, what is he talking about? I mean, look at, look at our relationships. Well, my way for relationships, if I want healthy relationships, in my mind's eye, the way that I work, I would think that if I need to be in a healthy relationship, then I need to be with somebody who's meeting my needs. That would be my definition of a healthy relationship. I mean, in our society would, would kind of preach this, would proclaim this, that, that you need to be with somebody who's meeting your needs. Yet when you experience God's way, when you begin to learn God's way, God's is actually the opposite. If you want a healthy relationship, you need to live your life seeking to meet the needs of those that you are in relationship with. Counterintuitive. God thinks a little bit different. I mean, think, think about this. I think of, uh, even just the stuff we're talking about, about, about generosity. If I'm wanting to get ahead in my finances, my way, my thoughts, I need to save. I don't have, I don't have any, any, any room to give or be generous. I mean, how does that even make intellectual sense? If I want to get ahead, I need to keep all that is mine for me. That's what's logical. But God's way is counterintuitive. The way that you think is not the way that I think. The way that you work is not the way that I work. In fact, God's way says that if I want to, if I want to, if I want to actually increase financially, if I want a, a, a stable financial situation, that I have to live my life open-handed. What? Yeah. God's way is counterintuitive to my way, even as it pertains to the troubles that we face, the problems that we encounter in life. In the book of Ephesians, it says it like this. It says, put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. He says, we aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness. Sounds really crazy, right? And spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. In other words, what it's communicating is the problems that you're facing today. The situations that we're up against, the thing that, man, I didn't see this one coming. I didn't know that I'd be going through, through this situation. It's not just a natural people problem. What the Bible is saying that to every problem that you face, there's always a spiritual dynamic. He says this, therefore, pick up the full armor of God. In other words, do what God has asked you to do. We can really go into that, but that's really what it's talking about. Put on the full armor of God so that, so that you can stand your ground on the evil day. 
okay? And it's gonna, gonna bring us to the topic of conversation. What do I do when I've done everything I know to do and it still feels like it isn't working? So that you can stand your ground on the evil day and after you have done everything possible to still stand. What do I do in my life when I'm doing everything that I know to do and it still feels like it isn't working? Sometimes I have to just still stand. This is what the Bible says in the book of Galatians. And let us not grow weary of doing good. The things that I know will produce in my life if I stay consistent with them, let us not grow weary in doing good. Why? For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. In due season, we will reap if we don't give up. And and what we're gonna talk about today, it may not be what you wanna hear. But I promise you this, it can be something that helps us because there's, there's a word that we are not comfortable with. It's a, it's a, there's a four-letter word. I said that first service. It made me think. I said, I'm going to give you a four-letter word this morning. It reminded me when I was a teenager growing up in, in, our, in our youth services, the pastor would get up there. I'm going to say the F word in church today. You guys ready? We'd be like, F word in church? Like, really? And he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to say the F word. You guys ready? He'd say fear. And we'd be like, oh, the F word in church. And like, tell all your friends, you know what the real F word is, right? fear. That's cheesy. (laughs) But I'm going to give you a four-letter word this morning that I think that we're really uncomfortable with. And here it is. The four-letter word is sometimes you have to wait. What do I do when I'm doing everything that I know to do and it isn't happening, when it's not happening in the moment that I want it to happen, when I don't understand because it feels like it isn't working? Sometimes you have to wait. This is what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. David said it like this. I will remain confident of this. In other words, this is the one thing that I know for sure, David says. I'm confident, or I know this for sure. This is what I know. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The one thing that I know for sure is that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, everything that God has promised me, my best life, the life that I desire to have, the life that God has told me that I could have, this is what I know for sure. This is what I know for sure. The things that God has promised me, they will come to pass. That I know for sure, but this is what he says. But don't be impatient. You gotta wait for the Lord and he will come and save you. Be brave, stout-hearted, be courageous. When you've done all to stand, stand. And he says this, yes, in case you missed it, I did say the four-letter word, wait, and he will help you. This idea that sometimes in our faith journey that we have to wait, this isn't about time. This isn't about it should take a long time. I believe that faith is now the substance of things hoped for. I believe in instantaneous miracles. But when it comes to trusting God, when it comes to walking into the life that you desire, your best life, a fulfilled life, time has to be irrelevant. There's times in your life when you've done everything that you know to do to stand. Sometimes you just have to keep standing. Sometimes you just have to keep doing it. It's like if I was to take, if I was to take a, a water hose, right, and, and string out a l- really long water hose across the stage, and then I run over here, and I turn on, turn on the spigot, and I look, no water, and I turn it off, and I come to you, and I say, hey, the water hose is, is broken. There's no water. It's not working. And, and you would say, well, did you, yeah, you w- w- what happened? I said, well, I turned it on, but no water came out, so I turned it off. What would you tell me? You tell me, well, you got to give it a second. You got to give it a second. Just because you tried it doesn't mean it's not working. You got you, you to give it a second. And sometimes in our lives, it's the same picture. We have to be willing to stand 
even when we don't see. And so this is what I want to talk about today, because this is one of those things like, okay, that's great, but that's a whole lot easier said than done, right? Stand. How do we stand? Today, I want to talk about three ways that we can stand. So take notes today. I think it can be something that's, that's helpful, helpful for you. When I've done everything I know to do, and it still seems like it's not working, I still got to stand. What is the stand that I'm taking? The first stand that you have to make is you have to stand up to reality. Stand up to reality. Why? Because we gauge effectiveness by reality. We gauge how well things are working by, in other words, what I see. Here's the thing about reality that most people won't tell you that we don't really stop to rationalize and, and compartmentalize and think about. Your re, you, you actually get to choose your reality because your reality is based upon your perspective. Your perspective is based upon how you see what you see. How you intellectualize and view uh, in, in your mind's eye what you see, your reality, that is what in, in turn affects the, the way that you live your life. And you, you actually get to choose your reality. And your reality is actually is, is guided by one of three things. And here's the three things that I, I want to talk about. You'll be able to identify instantaneously kind of what grounds your reality, what guides your reality. For most people, what guides their reality is feelings. In other words, what I feel is what is real, right? If I feel afraid, then I'm just afraid. If I feel like it's not working, it's just, it's just not working. Why? Because I'm guided what, with, by, by, by what I feel. When my feelings are my compass, compass for my reality, I, I will always have a difficulty standing. People who, who, who allow their feelings uh, to guide the reality, these are the kinds of people that hardly ever can finish anything because when they, when they start something, they either, one, feel like it doesn't work or they feel like there's something else that they should be doing, right? I, I, um, a couple months ago, I decided that it was time for me to, to work on my fitness and get in shape because as I've gotten older, like I just started packing on the pounds. Like I don't know how that happens, but it's like you find all these like little pockets to put some fat in. And it's like as, as time went on, it's like, where did these love handles come from? And, I, and, and I'm weighing in at weights that I, I'm like, how is this possible? And so I reached out to, to, to a friend of mine who's a, a trainer, and he used to be a bodybuilder. And, uh, and so he, he got me on this plan, right? He gets me on this plan. He says, okay, so like here's, here's your workouts that you're going to do, and then I'm going to put you on a diet. And so I'm thinking diet, okay. And he, and he tells me, he says, Nick, one of the hardest things that you're going to do is to be able to stick with this diet. You're going you're gonna to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. It's going to be hard. And I'm thinking, okay, but how hard can, can it be? Like, I've, I've been on diets before. I'm going to be hungry. Like, there's going to be, you know, pain involved. Like, I can do it. So, so I start this, this diet plan, this diet process, and it was honestly one of the hardest things that I've ever done because it was the opposite of what I expected. Uh, I, I had been eating probably about two, two and a half meals a day, and this guy took me from eating two and a half meals a day to now I was eating six meals a day. So the hardest thing was in the first couple of days, man, I just wanted to puke all the time. Like, I can't even get this much, much food into my mouth. And on top of that, about a weekend, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, and this is what my brain is telling me, I'm eating this much food. I would look at myself in the mirror, and I would think, no, I'm definitely gaining, gaining, gaining more weight. Like, it didn't make sense in my mind. How could I be eating more food and losing weight? I'd be sending him texts. Are you sure this is, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this right because I feel like I'm gaining weight? He's like, well, if you're doing it right, you shouldn't be gaining weight. And so I stuck through the process. Two months later, I step on a scale and I lost 40 pounds. Yeah, 40 pounds. And, and, and he, yeah, applaud me. Thank you. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I feel like I'm on like the biggest loser TV show or something. You guys celebrating me for my, my weight loss. I appreciate it. My point is this. It would have been silly of me to give up halfway through the process because it felt to me as if it wasn't working. 
And in my life, I got to be honest with you, and it really legitimately felt like it wasn't working. But I'm so glad that I didn't give up just because of what I felt because I would have missed the benefit of the goal that I was trying to achieve. Sometimes in our lives, we give up on things because of feelings. Think about in your life, what relationships, what God-given relationships. I'm not just talking romantic relationships. I'm talking about friendships. What relationships have you given up on because you felt intimidated? You felt like you, you disagreed too much. You felt like you didn't click. And actually what God was wanting to use in your life to bless you, you ran on because it didn't feel right. I'm so thankful that, 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 my, that my, uh, my trainer, he understood something that is greater than feelings. And this is another way that most people frame the reality. And it's this, it's through facts. Facts are actually greater than feeling. Facts are a way to actually anchor your feeling. I was holding my son by a fire, and, and he was terrified. He was, he, was, he was terrified because he could feel the heat of the fire. That's what he felt, but I would anchor him through facts. I would tell him, tell him I, I have you. I'm holding you. The fire can't get you because I have you. That, that, that is a fact. My trainer understood that even though I felt that because I was eating more, I should be I should be actually gaining weight. He knew the science behind it, that if he actually fed me more of the right food, it would actually speed up my metabolism and cause me to lose weight. See, in our life, when it comes to facts, facts are another way that people guide the reality. There's a problem, though, with facts, because facts have their limitations. Uh, here, here's one problem with facts. Uh, when you live your life by facts, you'll often find yourself stuck. Because facts aren't just positive. You have positive facts, you have negative facts. In other words, as I'm trying to like really achieve things, the facts in life can make me uh, be extremely discouraged. If I'm trying to stand and I'm allowing my reality to be shaped by facts, I'm going to want to give up a lot. Why? Because when I'm doing everything that I know to do as it pertains to my finances, like I'm budgeting, I'm being generous, I'm watching where I'm spending, but when I look at the ledger, I look at my bank account, and it's like, man, this still isn't working, you want to give up. You want to turn your back, man, when you're trying to eat healthy, when you're trying to work out and exercise and that you go to, to a doctor's appointment and you come back and they tell you that you have cancer and you're like, I've been trying to live a healthy lifestyle, but I've come face to face with what? With facts. When facts are the thing that we allow to, to gauge our reality, how I see what I see, I'll a lot of times find myself stuck. Here's another thing that facts will do. When you live your life by the facts, you'll often miss your miracle. What am I talking about? Oftentimes in life, it's hard to see the good things that are happening in your life because you're blinded by the mess. It's hard to actually see the things in your life that you're actually achieving, the progress that you're actually making, because all I can see is the things that aren't working. Because when you pray for rain, you also get the mud. When you pray for rain, you get mud too. Think about things in life that you have prayed for, that you have believed for, that you have trusted God for, that you have contended for, that you've tried to, man, I'm going to just, I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to work it. And God did some incredible things. But now when you look at it, all you see is the mess. And we talk about Jesus feeding 5,000, right? Five loaves, two fish, all this excess. Stuff. Look at the great miracle. Can you, can you know how bad fish stinks? Right? Can you imagine the mess that the disciples were, were, were cleaning up? People were celebrating the miracle. But I bet you there was people that, man, this, this situation, man, it, it stinks. Like God has done great things. But sometimes it's hard to see it when you're in the middle of the mess. Some of you, man, you just thought, man, my life would be so much better if I could just get married, if I could just have a spouse. Man, all I want is companionship. I just want somebody to love me, somebody that can encourage me when I'm going through things. And now you can't stand each other. Right? When God brings the rain, you get the mud too. Why don't you look, to, look at your neighbor and say, hello, mud. 
right? Some of you like that's that's reality. That's that's how that's how you feel. And this thing that you once you once believed for has now become a thorn in your flesh. And when we live our lives, when we allow our reality to be shaped by just the facts, man, we will always find ourselves discouraged. Why? Because we'll be blinded by our situation and forget the great, awesome, phenomenal things that God has done in my life. I'll miss all the times that God has come through because I don't want this situation to be the way this situation is. I see this with my kids. I remember when my my two-year-old now, when he was born, he was born, we're all excited and and they had to rush him off to the ICU. There was something wrong and we couldn't figure it out. I remember being in such a place of desperation. Like, man, God, what, what is this situation? Like, I never thought that I would see myself here. You're, I mean, your brain, like if you've ever gone through something with your kids in this, in this way as it pertains to their, their physical well-being, man, you question everything. It's like, are they going to make it? What if I lose them? What if they die? What if it gets worse? And I mean, you're just trusting and you're believing God. I remember being by myself in a bedroom with a keyboard and just pouring out my heart to God and saying, God, I trust you. I know that you're going to come through. I'm not going to give up. I know the doctors say it's getting worse, but I'm going to trust you that it's going to get better. And I kept believing and I kept praying and I kept asking. You know what? God came through. God came through. God came through. But I'd be lying to you. If there aren't days when my now two-year-old, when he's writing on my walls and drawing on my cupboards and putting dog food in my barbecue pit, that I don't just want to cry. Why? Because sometimes in the middle of the mess, I miss the miracle. There was a day that I would have given anything. They say, well, they would have told me, one day he's going to write on your walls and one day he's going to write on your cupboards and one day he's going to put dog food in your barbecue pit. You know what I would have said? I don't care. I don't care. Why? Because I'm still believing God. I'm saying trusting God. But sometimes when our reality is sculpted by the facts and the facts alone, we're blind to the fact that God is actually working because all we see is the mess. All we see is the mud and we miss the rain. We miss the rain. We miss the fact that I prayed for this. I believe God for this. I fasted for this. I prayed for this. I kept, even when I didn't feel like going to church and immersing myself in community because I was embarrassed about the problems that I was going through with my family, I did it anyway because I was believing God for something. But now, now sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to see when I'm, when I'm blinded by the facts. So we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to look to something greater than the facts. We can look at our feelings, we can look at the facts, or we can look at this last one, which, which actually takes faith. And it's only available inside the context of faith. This is why you showed up here today. You're hoping that there's more to life than just what you're experiencing. You're hoping that there's more to life than just the situation that you're, that you're facing. It's not logical. It's not logical to show up to a building to lift our hands and worship an invisible God. That's not logic. But there's something in our heart that compels us. There's something in our heart that, that, that moves us to say there's, there, there's, there's, there's something to this. I'm not seeking logic. I'm not seeking things that, that are, that are that, that in line with my intellect. I'm actually seeking something that could be very well counterintuitive that requires faith. And we, this is the one that we actually desire to shape our reality by. And it's not by feelings. It's not by facts, but it's by truth. You see, when I, when I allow my reality to be shaped my, by, by my feelings, whatever I feel, that's what is real. When I allow my reality to be shaped by the facts, whatever is that's what is. That's what's real to me. That's my reality. But when I allow my reality, when I make the choice, and this, that's where, really where it's at. When I make the choice to allow my reality to be shaped by the truth, it's what God says, it's what's real to me. It's what God says that I believe above all else. So how do I, how do I choose? You're, you see, your reality is formed by what you think about, about most. In the book of, of Proverbs, it says this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or in other words, whatever you think about, that's your reality. 
So if you want your reality to be shaped by truth, you've got to think more about what God says and less about what you feel and less about what the facts are. The incredible thing is as you choose one, you become blinded to the other two. So you can be, you see this in your life. Somebody who's like obsessed with feeling, they, they could come to you and be like, man, I just, I love them so much. And the factual person would be like, this is a horrible relationship with you, for you. You're being, you're being, you're actually experiencing verbal and physical abuse in this relationship. Like the facts are like, you should, but I love him, the feeling, feelings person, right? I love him. And the person of truth, and they're like, you shouldn't be unequally yoked. Like God has his, his best for you and his, he wants your relationships to be really, really great. But the person who has chosen feeling to sculpt the reality, they are blind, what, to the other two. How much more if we could learn to trust God, what God says above what I feel and what the facts are, would we have this ability to what? To stand when I've done all to stand. How do I stand in the midst of things that I don't understand when it doesn't seem like it's working? I have to be willing to stand up to reality. The second one is this. I got to stand up to the devil. This sounds really funny and on the verge of cheesy to me because I think in our society we think of the devil. Like for me, I think of like a little man with like a red cape and like a tail and like horns, right? In our society, we've been really good and we, and we kind of embrace people giving new names to God. Like we call him God, call him creator, call him a higher power, call him the universe, whatever you want to call him. I think we need to be a little bit more comfortable giving the devil other names too. I think with the devil sometimes looks like greed, looks like division, looks like lust, looks like envy, looks like, uh, looks like, looks like guilt, looks like shame, looks like racism, looks like bigotry. And we have to be comfortable in our lives. If we're going to stand up to something, we have to stand up to evil. We have to stand up to darkness. We have to stand up to the devil. Because here's the thing about Christianity. Here's the thing about our faith. When we place our faith in Christ, this is how it's supposed to work. When I place my faith in Jesus, the devil, enemy, darkness, uh, greed, hate, uh, envy, pride, jealousy, all of these things should be powerless in my life. So in other words, when I place my faith in Christ, the only power that the enemy, that the devil has in my life is the power that I give to him. Is the power that I give to him. My, my seven-year-old, he... Um, uh, my, my kids just have this weird thing that they like to deface my property and like be really destructive, and I don't, don't fully understand it yet. But uh, he did something. He did something in my car. Like, he, like took like a, a coin and just like just made all these marks in my car. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you lost your mind. Like, and so I I I, uh, I told him, listen, there's like I told him there's no for you no technology the next two days. And for my seven year old, that's like putting him out in the cold and not allowing him to eat for, for a whole week. Like that's how bad it is. You know, he's emotional. And I'm like, yeah, two days, no technology there, you know. So so he's doing pretty good and we get through about a day and a half, and the way it worked is like uh, the next morning he would have to go to school, and when he got home, like he'd be off punishment. So we go to sleep that night, and, and the next morning I wake up, and I just happened to wake up like early, and so I woke up, and it's probably like 6 a.m., and I, I swear to God, like I'm like, I hear something in my living room. I'm like, what, what is it? So I get, I get out, and I kind of creep, like just kind of real quiet, and then I swoop around the corner like this, and I, I look, and there's my seven-year-old on the couch with the remote control watching television. And I kind of just like look at him, like, what are you doing? Like, you, you've completely lost your mind, right? And instantaneously, like, like, like a water fountain, just tears begin to flow. And this is what he says. He says, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the devil made me do it. And so we had some words. And then, uh, you know, we, we, laugh, we laugh at that. And why do we laugh at that? Because we think it's silly. Like, we know the devil didn't make him do it. Right? Devil didn't make him do it. But it's funny because in our lives, when we allow darkness, when we allow evil to have power over us, when we allow guilt and shame, 
when we allow racist, racist talk to exist in our circles of our relationships, we are allowing the devil to have power over us. We're no greater than my son on the couch with the remote saying, the devil made me do it. The devil only has power in our lives when we allow him to have power in our lives. We've got to stand up. You got to stand up. You got to make a stand. What do I do when I don't know what to do? I got to stand and I got to stand up against the devil. This is why in 1 Peter it says this. It says, be alert and have sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does he do? He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. Talk about identity issues, right? I'm a lion, I'm a lion trapped in a devil's body. Like this is how he, this is how he, he feels. He, roar, he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, communicating what? Not everybody is devourable. You, you choose. You choose. I was, I was hiking this last week and, and it started like raining really, really bad. So I got into the street and I sat down on a rock. And as I'm sitting on, on the rock, I get this feeling that sometimes we get like, I feel like something's watching me. So I'm sitting on the rock and I, and I kind of look back and, I, and I'm, kid you not, about 10 feet away from me in the tall grass, there's this coyote and the coyote is like shrunk down in the grass and, it look, and it's, it's just looking at me right there in the grass, almost like it's about to like pounce on me, like something you'd see a, a cat do. And this is kind of abnormal for coyotes because usually they just, I mean, they take off running if you see them. So I'm, I'm crouched down and I'm watching, I'm like, surely this thing's not like trying to get me or something. And, it, and it, instantaneously, it takes another step towards me. Once it takes another step towards me, I stand up. And when I stand up, the coyote takes off. You know why the coyote took off? Because he realized that I was undevourable. And sometimes in our life, sometimes in our life, darkness, evil, prejudice, hate, greed, guilt, shame, it crouches in the grass. It crouches in the grass because he thinks that we're devourable, because we allow our lives to be shaped by our feelings or our facts. And here's what I'm telling you. Not only do you have to stand up to your reality, you have to stand up to the devil. He's seeking whom he may devour. I've grown up in church my whole life hearing hearing stuff like this, hearing people say that, you know, he may have won the battle, but God's going to win the war. The devil is not a winner. He's not a winner. He doesn't win battles. If he won the battle, it's because I gave up. If, 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 if it seems like he's winning the battle, then the battle's just not over. I believe it's time that we stand up and we take back land. We take back all of these things that we've allowed evil and darkness and all of these things in our lives that we've allowed to be stolen from us. We have power. We are not victims. God has made us victors through Jesus. And this is what I'm saying. You have a choice. You can stand. When I've done all to stand, when I'm doing everything that I know to do and it seems like it's not working, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand up to reality. I'm going to stand up to the devil. And here's the, the last stand that we got to wake. Sometimes you got to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Sometimes in your life, the stand that you'll take, sometimes in life, the stand that you'll take, it isn't even, it isn't even for you. Because you know what? As you try to trust God, as you do this thing, or this, this, this walk of faith, there's going to be times in your life, it's going, to, it's going to feel like this, like, wow, I didn't see this one coming. Like, I never knew that, that this would be my life. Like, I've heard other people's testimonies and their stories of the path of God, but I didn't expect to see myself here. And there's going to be times where it's like, God, I want to trust you, God, I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up. But there's going to be times that you feel a little weak in the knees. 
And it's at those times that you're gonna need your brothers and sisters and people that are thinking the same way that you do and trusting God the same that you do to come and put their, put their shoulders underneath at your arms and hold you up. And there's times in your life that you're gonna have to do the same when life seems good for you, that God's gonna use you to what? To stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. And we get so narrow-minded, we get so obsessed with the things, man. I prayed and it seemed like it didn't work. I asked God and I said, God, why, why did this happen? You know some of your greatest victories? Some of your greatest victories are not the prayers that you prayed that you actually seen come to pass. Some of your greatest victories are the prayers that you prayed that you will never know if they came to pass or not. Some of your greatest victories is the smile and the friendliness that you showed to the clerk at the gas station that was planning on going home and blowing her brains out because she's at the end of a rope, but she didn't because of your kindness, because of your love, because of your generosity. Sometimes in your life, being able to reach out and love your brothers and love your sisters, sometimes those... Sometimes those are your greatest victories. Sometimes when you stand, you're not standing for yourself. You're standing for what's to come. Parents, when you stand in your life and you make a stand, even when it seems like it's not working, sometimes you're standing for your kids. In the Bible, there's a story of a guy named Peter. Peter is a disciple, ends up being a disciple of Jesus, a friend of Jesus. When when Jesus comes, he begins recruiting people and he he finds Peter. Peter's a, a fisherman. And Jesus, a rabbi, comes to Peter and he says, Peter, listen, I need you to drop what you're doing because I need you and I want you to follow me. And so Peter, like, is compelled. He dro- it's an incredible story. He drops his occupation. He follows Jesus. Well, be- Jesus begins to kind of, like, hype up the whole thing and tell him about the great things that they're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Like, you've been fishing for, fishing for fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. In other words, what he's communicating, to, we're going we're gonna to impact our world. And Peter goes on this ride with, with Christ, and he begins to see Miracles. Miracles. I mean, he sees great things like the feeding of the 5,000. He sees blind people get their sight. He sees deaf people get their hearing. Peter even walks on water. He experienced incredible things while living this life with Christ. Well, the whole plan for Jesus was that he was going to come and that he was going to be murdered and that he was going to die. He was going to come back from the dead so that us, imperfect people, we could place our faith in Christ and God no longer would no longer see us based upon our performance, based upon the goodness of what Jesus has done. But his disciples, they didn't get that. When Jesus would tell these little stories, they didn't, they didn't really understand. And so they're in this last kind of meeting before Jesus was going to be killed. And Peter was the kind of person, maybe you know somebody like this, they're always trying to like overprove their loyalty, always trying to prove why they're the, they're the most loyal person in the room. And he was always like this. There was always kind of like this competitive thing among him and the disciples. And in this meeting, like Jesus tells him, as much as you love me, Peter, there's going to be a, come a time when you turn your back on me. And Peter's like, you're crazy. Like, I would never turn my back on you. And, and Jesus is like, well, well, it's coming. You're going to do it. And here's, here's what Jesus says to Peter right there in, in this moment. He says this, but, I, but Peter, even though you're going to turn your back on me, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you in particular. In other words, I've prayed a special prayer for you, Peter, Simon Peter, that your faith, here's the prayer that he prayed, that your faith will not fail. Jesus took a stand, and his stand was this prayer that Peter's faith would not fail. And then he says this to Peter, so when you recover, strengthen the other disciples. So the time goes on, Jesus goes, he's murdered, he's crucified, and he's dead. I could only imagine the thoughts of Peter in this moment, feeling betrayed. Like, God, this is not what it was supposed to look like. Like, you told us that we were going to change the world. This doesn't seem like it's working. God, you told me if I live a generous life and extend myself beyond myself that I'd be taken care of financially. God, have you seen my bank account lately? You told me that I've invested myself in my relationships and live a selfless life, that things would be good for me. Have you seen my marriage lately? God, I trusted you when it came to my physical well-being, and yet every time I go to the doctor, they say the cancer is still there. 
What's it supposed to look like this? We were supposed to change the world. Peter didn't understand. He goes out, he begins, people begin saying, well, you're, you're the guy that was, that was friends with Jesus. You're the guy that's really loyal to Jesus. And not me. He says, not me. I, I don't know him. Because you do exactly what Jesus told me to do. You'll betray me. You'll turn your back on me. He's, he's cursing. I don't know him. And all of a sudden he has this moment where he kind of just, the light bulb comes on. Peter does. He's like, wow, Jesus is right. Like, it's exactly what he said. And so he begins to pull himself together and, and kind of take a stand again. What's incredible is you continue to read scripture in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter two, Peter ends up being one of the primary starters of the local church. One of the people that actually stood up to start the local church. Why does that matter? Because this is the, the extension of the space that you're in today. And sometimes when I look at the life of Jesus, when I look at Jesus speaking to Peter, I allow my, let my, 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 my imagination to kind of just go there. That maybe when Jesus was taking a stand for Peter, he wasn't actually just taking a stand for Peter. Maybe when Jesus was taking a stand, he was taking a stand for you and for me. Maybe when Jesus was taking a stand, he knew there would be people here in Clovis and Madeira, Fresno, that would need a place of hope, that would need a place of healing, that they would need brothers and sisters to hold them up in the midst of times that they don't understand. Maybe when Jesus was standing and looking at Peter and Peter was, was in a place where he knew he was gonna doubt him, he says, Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. Maybe he wasn't just praying for Peter. Maybe he was praying because he saw what God was gonna do through the local church when a teenage boy by the name of Randy Hand would be at a church youth group camp and God would speak to his heart that he was gonna start a church one day. Maybe, Dad, maybe the times when you started the church in our home, in our home, it's a Bible study. Like, well, crazy people do that. But, he, but God has spoken to his heart. Maybe the times you were clawing and scratching. And God, did you really call me to this? Is this really, is this really your plan? Is this really what's supposed to happen? Maybe the times when you're clawing and scratching and making a stand, maybe the stand wasn't for you. Maybe the stand was for people people in the church that would come and be impacted. Maybe the stand, maybe the stand in those days was people like, like Wendy Garcia and Madeira. That at that very time, you're clawing and scratching, just trying to get a church started. She's out in the streets working, working in, in prostitution and shooting up with heroin. One day, though, she was going to need a space, a space that would love her and not judge her and accept her and welcome her, where she can find hope and healing. Maybe sometimes when you stand, you're not just standing for you. Sometimes in life, you have to be willing to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. Sometimes you got to be willing to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. And so this is my prayer for us today. This is my prayer for every single one of us today, a special prayer that our faith would not fail. That we won't be moved by feeling, that we won't be moved by fact, we won't be moved by the illusions of the devil. We'll square our shoulders. What do I do? When I've done everything I know to do, it feels like it's not working, I'm gonna stand. I'm still gonna stand. I'm gonna stand up against reality. I'm gonna stand up against the devil and I'm gonna stand up for those who cannot stand for themselves. Can we stand at every campus, every auditorium? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing a song and I'm just gonna trust God. Again, remind you, you didn't show up here for logic today. You didn't show up here for entertainment today. You showed up here today because you need something. You need God to meet you right here, right now. And this is, the thing, this is the thing. I'm confident of this, that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that what God has promised you, he will do, he's gonna do. 
And I want to have the faith to believe today that in this space, the thing that you came looking for, that God's going to meet you right here and right, right now in every way possible. Right now here in our Madeira campus, in our Fresno campus, in our Clovis campus. Can we close our eyes together? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And I want you to engage your heart. I want you to pour out your heart before God. Maybe when you go out of this place, you square your shoulders and you act tough again. But can you open your heart just for a second? Can you maybe just express your weakness to your God? Can you maybe just say, God, I need you. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm doing everything that I know to do. God, it is hard to stand. I need you to strengthen my knees. God, I need you to strengthen my arms. I need you to help me stand. God, I pray for every single person at every single one of our campuses. God, and I pray, I pray the very special prayer that you prayed for Peter. God, I pray that our faith would not fail, that God will stand and will keep standing, that we'll stand and we'll keep standing. God, we will not be moved. This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Randy Han and Celebration Church in Fresno, California. For more information, please visit celebrationchurch.cc.